0: The success of not all, but many Japanese luxury brands was in offering similar quality to sort of the old world European luxury watch brand at a better price point and often with more reliability and quality. With something like this, what you're advocating is for them to completely disregard this model and no longer be the value leader. They might be the technology leader, but now they also have the most expensive thing. What they have found is that outside of Japan, the rest of the world still doesn't see Japan as making the best in category item.
1: This week on a blog to watch Weekly with Rick and Ariel, we hear about new watches from Casio, Rado, and Longines. The new chronograph release from Angelus leaves us all discombobulated. We have two chronographs in one with the new release from NBNF, and the new watch that attracted the most article comments in the last week gets more commentary from the boys, the Ublow Big Bang Samuel Ross watch. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog To Watch Weekly with myself, Rick, and Guy on the other end. Who are you? Where are you from? I'm Ariel Adams from A Blog To Watch. Hi. Woo-hoo. Excellent. It's just as well, you know, your name's in the show, so it's as well that it's you. That's good. How are you
0: doing? I'm very well, thank you. We got some great new watches that have come out this week. In a couple days, I'm going to be seeing even more watches. Some that we actually missed when we traveled to Las Vegas. So much stuff seems to be coming out right now, so I know the world is crazy, but there is no stopping new Timepiece products at all.
1: Yeah, I felt that this week had been quiet the past week until I actually went back and looked at all the articles and realized there had actually been quite a lot of releases and amongst them a load of chronographs which we will touch on. But the key thing that everybody wants to know from last week's show is what watch did you end up wearing to the wedding?
0: That's a good question. It was a watch highly related to the context of the family. I went to the father's wedding and the father's mother's wedding when they got married, when I was a child and I remember that he was wearing a Movado watch, you know, the museum dial, and I have a more modern mechanical version of that museum dial watch, which I wore. I had to remind him of the watch that he was wearing. That was actually the last watch he ever wore, but that's what I had on my wrist.
1: All right, okay, so who did I say? The father's mother's wedding?
0: So, okay, the father of the groom... I went to his wedding. So
1: you're Fred, you're right. You went to the father's.
0: He, re- he married my cousin, my cousin, my cousins. Uh, they got married. Uh-huh. The guy that married my cousin was wearing Movado.
1: Your cut, co- your cousins got married to each other.
0: No, no. The guy that married my
1: cousin, he became my cousin. The man right, who became my of... cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Norfolk wedding from over here. But anyway, there we go. <laughs> cool, good stuff. I was trying to do something sentimental, okay? That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, no, no, that's quite good. I'm quite impressed with that. Quite impressed. It uh, turns out uh, Ariel's a bit of a softie. Who, knew? who knew?
0: Well, I knew no one was going to care about watches at the entire wedding, so I figured... I've gotta have some reason for wearing those.
1: <laughs> Excellent. And you therefore had a big drive back down. How was how were the roads in California these days? Lovely, long and winding. Lovely,
0: it's great. I love I love those roads. Nice and straight. You you want to take a nap after some of those roads you do over in Europe? Here, that one, nice and straight. You're you drive in the car seven hours. You're fresh.
1: I mean, they say that the Romans built all the road systems. They built like nice straight roads, but it turns out they didn't really. No, they didn't. America, they didn't like that. Roads. They like
0: the the windy way everywhere. Apparently.
1: Kudo. So we have a lot to catch up on this week. Let's get started. The casio
0: oceanus manta i reviewed one of the newest i guess it is the newest sort of iteration of the oceanus collection this is a family of watches that just last year officially came to the united states and a blog to watch was like the first place to review it with the, the model OCWS 5000, as is the norm at Casio when they have a new model. It usually is just an updated number. So I review the OCWS 6000, which is the latest version of the Manta. And this is quite a watch. It's not something that most people understand in the, in the watch space right now. It doesn't match the form of what most people think of as a Casio. At first glance, you might think it's like a Citizen or something like that because it's sort of like a, it, it's definitely a Japanese watch, but it's a little bit more modern, yeah. dressy. And then you look at it and it's a Casio, got a hardened titanium case. The bezel, and this is what's so fascinating about this specific new model is made out of sapphire crystal with a reverse coloring treatment in blue. So the crystal itself is transparent, but it appears sort of blue because of this blue uh, back color. Inside of it is the names of the cities. It's quite discreet actually, and this is for when you change the time zones and things like that in the watch. Fully analog dial, solar power. It's got one of their tough solar movements, so it's the same kind of tough systems that you'll find in a G-Shock. Bluetooth connectivity, which is very handy. And it's it's sort of a modern, you know, men's dress watch, about 39 millimeters wide, so not super big, under nine millimeters thick, so it's quite thin. I have to say, I really liked wearing this watch, even though it had a retail price of $2,400.
1: So this is a range of watches traditionally that the Japanese kept themselves, I think. More or less. Rather than one that you would more regularly see on European or American wrists. Is this just, you know, Casio pushing out more product to more markets because they're set up for it? Or has this been a distinct change in strategy making this particular range available? in america and in europe and elsewhere in the world because it's pretty cool i i do agree with you i look at it first of all. i think this is a citizen
0: there's a trend right now that's been happening for the last several years where japanese brands who frequently had a lot of japanese domestic market product are making those all global product they're sort of blurring the lines more and more they still have watches which are exclusively for the japanese market i don't think that's going to end but especially when it comes to their high-end watches More and more of it is coming out of Japan to be sold on the global market. Look, on on a very basic level, because they think they can... Seiko proved that a high-end Japanese watch could do well around the rest of the world. That had been a, a challenging and difficult target for a lot of the Japanese to meet because while they make excellent product, their storytelling and branding has always been very different than that of the Europeans. And so it's sort of a different challenge for them and they become quite emboldened. So I think that there's a profit incentive for them to sell more of these watches. But at the same time, you also see these Japanese companies becoming more proud and recognizing that they are less sort of a regional treat and, and really a global powerhouse. And it just, it seems to make less and less sense that entire collections of products are sold only in Japan. Practically speaking, you could always buy these watches on the internet. You could pay pay, pretty much close to retail price and get you know a retailer in japan to send it out to you so it wasn't like you couldn't really get these things it actually ended up you know it costs less now because they're officially imported you know into america and into europe and places like that so i think there's a lot to like here is it for everyone no but these are remarkably good watches
1: yeah it's a good looking watch is this a sign of casio and indeed citizen i mean are they looking at grand seiko part of seiko thinking "Mm, we could really we, we can play this game as well we've got designers and the technology and all the marketing and the worldwide brand recognition to step our game up to selling watches of the kind of grand seiko price range do casio and citizen have those watches that we just don't see or are they thinking let's give grand seiko room for the money and start producing some watches at a higher price.
0: It's a combination of things. They've definitely felt a degree of jealousy at the attention that Grand Seiko has been getting. So that has galvanized mm-hmm. them, and that has made them feel that their high-end products can do well on, on a global market. There is a bigger problem though, and I don't know exactly the way that they're going to approach it. I won't. I don't think that Grand Seiko has really found a solution. And, and the issue is essentially this. The success of, not all, but many Japanese luxury brands was an offering similar quality to sort of the old world European luxury watch brand at a better price point and often with more reliability and quality. You see that in cars. You've seen that in a lot of watches and a number of other goods, electronics and things like that. With something like this, what you're advocating is for them to completely disregard this model and no longer be the value leader, right? They might be the technology leader, but now they also have the most expensive thing. And what they have found is that outside of Japan and some nearby mature Asian markets, the rest of the world still doesn't see Japan as making the best in category item. I don't necessarily know how you change that. It's a tough thing to do. But I don't think that outside of a few very loyal enthusiasts, people would say that Grand Seiko is the the best in class for the things it does. I think that it has a competitive product in a lot of areas. Is it the best in class in any one place, arguably that'd be a tough thing for them to, to get away with on a, on, a, on a large level. It's someone's fault. It just means that they have to rethink the way they position. They have to be a lot snobbier than they used to be. Uh, They have to sell at prices they're not used to selling at. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of experimentation but I still think there's a large and strong contingent at these companies that say, you know, we are an engineering company. We price things at what they need to cost and we we make watches and things that people want to buy and we're humble about it. And I don't don't think that those things are going to really be able to separate and so it's always going to be something that has to fit into whatever marketing model they have.
1: I assume that Seiko, Grand Seiko is the largest of the three watch corporations that we know of coming out of Japan from Casio and Citizen. Is that the case, or that's just my assumption? But I don't actually know.
0: I think Casio is is the largest company, right? I don't know. I think Citizen is probably larger than Seiko, right? So right. I think Seiko is uh, is right now probably the smallest.
1: So these other companies, so the Casio Citizen, have the financial muscle. It's it's not that they're playing catch up in corporate size as well. They could actually invest and produce products. It's it's hard
0: to compare. Seiko has a lo- a series of corporate entities epson and things like that seiko watches is, is not the richest of them so it really depends on how you classify it citizen is a group casio of course is a group remember they don't just make watches they have keyboards to calculators and cameras so there's You know, these are all pretty well diversified groups. The watchmaking division is like it's almost like their nerdy samurai sword division. Like the world doesn't really need it that much anymore, (laughs) but they but people really get excited about it and they sell well because they're fun. And so I think what appeals to me about these companies, especially a company like Casio, is that they have a very strong presence in the practical watch market, which helps legitimize their like crazy watch market.
1: Well, it's definitely what's worth checking out. So go and have a look at the blog to watch article that. Ariel Penned. The most commented article in the last week, unsurprisingly, is the Hublot Big Bang Tourbillon Samuel Ross watch. Now, I really like this, and I think that's okay. It's cool. I think it's okay. It is
0: cool, it is. What do you mean that's okay? Why would it not be okay to like this? Well, because...
1: Because... You get the impression that it's not okay. You look at the comment section. Because it's new? Because it's new? Well, I think the reality is, we all know why, It's because it's got Ublo written on it. And I think... I genuinely think the watch world needs to get over itself. Can you see how discreet the Hublot label is? It's literally
0: just on the automatic rotor.
1: It is pretty discreet, to be fair. Although, I think saying anything on this watch is discreet is a bit of a stretch. It's pretty discreet to me. I think from a distance, (laughs) a bright orange watch in Ariel's collection would be considered discreet. I think from a distance, you'd know this was a Hublot, whether you could see the little Hublot marking on the rotor or Here, not.
0: Here's what excites me mm-hmm. about this watch. Okay. It is expensive. It's very avant-garde looking. For 110. Yeah, thousand? something like that. What I like about it is that this is a model for how collaboration watches should be done. It is, of yeah. course, regrettable that this particular outcome has to be so expensive, which means it's just just that 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 less accessible to people. But the idea here is that Hublot collaborated with his designer, Samuel Ross, and rather than just slap his name on a watch or change a few colors or material, they yep. said, okay, sir, we're going to go ahead and make you a brand new watch. The movement isn't new, but it has totally new bridges and hands. The case is new. The dial is new. I mean, For all intents and purposes, this is a brand new timepiece. And, you know, they might make different versions of it. There'll be something with diamonds, of course, somewhere. But what they did (laughs) is they said, you know what? We're going to trust you. We're going to do what you want to do. Make sure it has Hublot DNA, 50 pieces in this. I think it's, yeah, titanium and orange. And I am just so thrilled that at least Hublot gets what a collaboration watch is. I hope, I hope that other brands will see this and have less fear ...out of making brand new things... ...because that's that's what needs to happen... ...they have to have the guts to say... ...we're going to pay the money to make new parts... ...and that is an exciting thing that Hublot... ...continues to do more than other brands.
1: I agree and I think that the... ...fact that this does actually look like... ...a new watch... It ...is not just a watch that's already in the range... ...that's been souped up with Go Faster stripes... ...and got some designers on it... ...this is actually new... ...and in a sense... It sounds a bit OTT, maybe. But it does kind of move forward what a watch can look like. Like, it is actually different. It's not... It still looks like a watch. It still looks like a hooplo. But it also looks different. It's weird. And I suppose that's why big designers get paid the big bucks. Because they manage to keep the DNA of the brand while building something that looks like it's taking the brand forward. I think what would be really interesting with this watch is if this is treated a bit like a concept car, you know you make okay concept cars they make one, but this is treated like a concept watch they make fifty for a hundred and ten thousand dollars each, but actually they then take these design cues and bring it further down the range because things like this mesh that they've got is a front facing micro rotor on this yeah it is yeah the front facing micro rotor these are all really cool features that it would be great if they were in watches, okay, they're still gonna be twenty or thirty thousand dollars. But it'd be great to see these design cues go further down the range. He has still managed to keep the USB charger points on the front of the watch. I do wish somebody would get rid of those. Because every time I see him, I just want to plug my Apple <laughs> Watch into them. But other than that, I really like this. I don't think it deserves... I mean, folk just like to give a bull a kicking because it's fun, I suppose. The, the back of the case of this, a completely different take on a see-through case back that actually really works. So I yeah, absolutely go and check this out. If I had a hundred and ten thousand dollars, I would be queuing up for this because I think this is actually Really cool.
0: Let's also remember that Ublo did not invent this concept. In fact, Audemars Piguet, when yeah. they were doing limited editions of the Royal Oak Offshore for different race car drivers, would frequently experiment with new bezels, new hands, new dials, new pushers. And the best of them did make it into other models. And so that's a good concept. Collectors loved it. I don't necessarily know why Audemars Piguet decided to stop with it. Ublo, of course, is picking up that concept in a very fresh way, I think. But, you know, more power to concepting and experimentation as far as I'm concerned.
1: How unlike Hublot to pick up something from AP. Never, never, never thought I'd see the day. Never, ever. Uh, That they would be inspired. Anyway, go check out this article. It's well worth a read. Pictures are great. Did we actually get a hands on with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Jake. This is Jake who runs the social media for Ablog to Watch. I think this is, is this his first published article? It may be. Maybe. So go and check out uh, Jake's article at ablogtowatch.com
0: okay let's talk about the angelus chrono date what an interesting collection here when angelus was revived by le Peré several years ago it was done by sebastian who is now at salida and i've done a wonderful uh, superlative podcast with him he went ahead and acquired a brand that he liked he's even written a book on, on Angelus watches and, and vintage chronographs. And when he re- revitalized the brand with help from, you know, the parent company, Le Jusperet, which is now owned by uh, the Citizen Group, he made it totally modern and futuristic, and it was supposed to be like the opposite of Arnold and Son. Now Angelus, uh, and he, again, he's no longer a with that. He now heads up uh, the technical department at Salida. Now Angelus comes out with a first sort of fresh model, I think, that I can remember. It's sort of been making iterations of what he's done in the past. And rather than go the traditional futuristic, they're making a combination of a futuristic and and retro watch called the Chrono Date. It brings back sort of a movement concept from the past that is a 30-minute chronograph with... A pointer date, versus, which means that it, it, there's a hand that points to a, a date scale around the periphery of the dial as opposed to a window. I just feel that that's one extra hand on the dial that you don't need. <laughs> there's already <laughs> a lot of hands there. I feel the window is an improvement, but people like new things. But from an aesthetic perspective, this is a fascinating watch because you have this combination of traditional design with modernity, and you don't see it that often. This isn't cheap. I think there's two titanium versions and a gold version. It starts at 22,900 Swiss francs, which is not cheap a- at all, and it's very practical. It's pragmatic. I think it's a little bit more conservative than you might imagine based upon me speaking about it, but this is... I think a fun thing to have, I don't know, I think this will take a while to really catch on, but it's very limited, right? I think there's like 25 pieces of, of each of these and there's you know only three of them here. That's 75 watches, not a lot of them. We'll see it goes from here, but it's. I, I think I like how, how, while it's not that different of a concept, it still doesn't feel like anything else that came out this year, which is good.
1: Yeah, I'm a bit confused by this watch. I look at I, it and I go, I really like that. And then I look at it again and go, nah, not convinced. I, I, I'm confused as to whether I actually like this or not. It's got all the elements I think that I like, but then you go, well, it's only 30 meters water resistant and it's... On a funny strat, and dial's quite busy, as you say, the pointer date, and it's expensive, and it's very limited. I think this is possibly just a a starter for 10. I am surprised that this doesn't come with a bracelet option, because that would seem right in with the current zeitgeist of you know, integrated sports watches. In this case, with a chronograph,
0: they have to do something next year, Richard.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I think if you were to call me on it, I'd say I like this watch. I like the numerals. It's kind of Panerai Moser kind of raised uh, numerals. I think you just to get excited yeah, no, about legibility. Don't maybe I don't like it.
0: I think you get excited <laughs> about legibility. No. You like you like the legibility. You like that. There's no. I do. There's no games about being able to read the time or the indicators. Everything's pretty clear.
1: Yes, true.
0: But the combination of of things in there gives you uh, cognitive dissonance. Like, you're like, modern, old, modern, old, don't know what to wear it
1: with. That's maybe exactly it. I mean, I like the start text on the start button for the chronograph, but then has that ever not been the button? To start a chronograph. I mean, if you have, like,
0: a, a Viking range, or like a stove range, this is a watch that goes with your like your high-end <laughs> you stove know, range. that's
1: exactly, you have nailed it. That is exactly what I'm seeing. See the little Angela's logo? Yep. It's the same shape as the logo for range cookers. Yep, the little plaque there. Yeah, the little plaque. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing my kitchen. Yeah, the little red I'm, reminds
0: oh. you of ignition, starter things. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I think in reflection, the thing that probably tips me now over the edge to not liking this is the rotor. I'm not sure what the A, which is presumably for Angelus and the start, it feels like an Avengers logo.
0: It was supposed to look like a Cyrillic version of the Avengers
1: logo. <laughs> so, it is numbered limited edition. So maybe that's a bonus. You actually know which number of the limited edition you've got. I just think this is a bit confused, but But it's trying to be. The
0: whole point is is trying to combine modern and vintage. It's a design exercise. They know it's it's nuanced. And the thing is this, as a daily wear, you'd wear it. The problem is about it's about as handsome as a Bradley tank.
1: (laughs) Hey, don't knock a Bradley tank. I I love a good Bradley tank. Okay. I'm just saying it's not it's 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 handsome like that. Yeah, so I think. Yeah, I do know. I've, I've changed my mind again. I like this. As a daily wearer, this is not a bad shout. Uh, it's also very no, non offensive. Yeah, I don't like a pointer date, though. Not a big fan of pointer. I don't know. I don't know if I like this or not. Tell you what, Angela, send me one, and then I'll tell you whether I like it or not. There you go. Uh, if you send me one, I'll. Tell you what, if you send me one, my my opinions are for sale. If you send me one, I'll tell you that I like it.
0: You're officially an influencer now.
1: (laughs) Opinions for sale. Opinions Opinions for sale. Opinions for sale. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. No, I'm not going to make any further (sighs) jokes about what other shows we're at. Anyway, right. So go and check this out on the Blog2Watch website. And I will ask the question in the Spotify app for the show about the Angelus. And you can tell us whether you like it or not, or go to the comment section and tell us what you think about this watch. I'm really, really unnerved and undecided about this, but there we go.
0: Great. Someone's done their job.
1: This week saw a watch with not one chronograph, but two chronographs and slightly left field because I don't think I appreciated this. NB... I'm hopeless. I always want to say NBN... F, N, M, this is useless for a person with a, a broad Glaswegian accent. Max Busser and Friends. I'm going to just call it, give it their full title for now on. We have the watch for Max Busser and Friends. It's a chronograph and it's their first chronograph. But it's effectively two chronographs in one. Uh, There's then be Max Busser and Friends Legacy Machine Sequential Evil. And it blew David, who's not on the show this week. It blew his tiny little Hungarian mind. And I can see why I actually really like this watch. This is in cooperation with Steve McDonald. Is Steve McDonald not the guy that's been helping Bremont make their own in-house movement for about the past fifty years? That's correct. So he's clearly been spending too much time with Max and not enough time with the English Brothers because he's managed to produce a watch with two chronographs faster than Bremont have produced their own in-house movement.
0: People already complain about how expensive Bremont watches are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, do you think, at this speed, the new Bremen watch will be more expensive than this one from Max. This is $180,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Bremen do like to price, give their watches a good price. And this is a feat of engineering, so it's right out Bremen's, right in Bremont's uh, wheelhouse in terms of engineering. So... The main thing about this watch is that the actual time-telling bit is probably close to being the smallest dial on the watch. Second to smallest si- dial. It's situated at 6 o'clock. This watch has five pushers and a crown and two chronographs. One on the left-hand side and one on the right-hand side. And basically it is quite a clever idea that Max and Stephen have sat down and gone, wait a minute, what is the problem with a split-second chronograph? The problem with the split-second chronograph is that when you split the second, you're not starting from zero. You're starting from wherever the second hand was when you started the second second hand. Well, that's that's a hack. Well, th- this watch solves that problem. A problem that the world needed solved, this watch solved. A mechanical right watch with two chronographs? It was right up there with, you know, splitting the atom and producing free energy from nuclear fission or fusion or whichever one it is. These guys solved the other big problem that the world faces, which is the split-second chronograph. you having to do the maths for how long the second split is. So, basically, you can link these chronographs together or you can run them separately. And that allows a number of modes. So, you can start them both at the same time. You can start one... And then start the other so that you can time two things like laps or you can stop them at the same time. It's probably best to read the article, to be fair. Probably <laughs> best to read the article. Because David's actually had a hands on with this. Yeah. And explains it better than I I mean, I'm tempted just to read the article out loud because it's so complicated.
0: No, it's 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 um it's a it's a particular take on having two Chronographs. Let's go back to the Jaeger Le Colt uh, duometre collection yep. of watches that basically had one regulation system, but two movements essentially. It were, I guess there was a different version of the duometre, but this was the most popular concept of sort of like dual wing movement idea where they sort of do different things. And there's a lot of benefits behind that. No one's really done two chronographs in a mechanical sense till MB&F has done that now with this this sort of version of the Evo, which is their sport watch collection. From an engineering perspective, what what do we have? We have two mainspring barrel arrays, presumably one for each chronograph. I believe that one of them has the time telling system tacked onto it, and as you can see on the dial in in you know, which I guess is now part of their DNA there's sort of a floating balance wheel that ostensibly uh again you know you really you really only need to have that for you know one of those and you can have that that work with both are i'm not sure are these both 4 hertz uh, chronographs I, I i imagine that they are you know i think so yeah these are these are 30 minute chronographs with a 60 second counter so they each do 30 minutes and there's a pusher which allows them to be activated at the exact same time so you can stop one before the other this is good for race timing and things like that so there's a variety of different ways you can you can use this you can activate both of them at the same time use them independently stop them again it's just two you know 30 minute chronographs built into one with a time telling system thrown in there is it revolutionary no has anyone really done anything like this before no because chronographs are complicated. We always know how thick a chronograph movement is and here I think one of the most impressive things if you look at how big this is, this is this is a relatively slim uh, profile here. So, I think what what's really impressive isn't that it does something that really is useful, but the miniaturization I think is also very important here. Again, it's not per se a small watch, but I think you would agree that it is quite wearable. It is 18.2 millimeter thick, but again, that's a lot of that is because of this really domed sapphire crystal and the fact that they have this distinctive balance wheel hanging over there. Um, I'd say the you know the movement is definitely a little bit less. So it's cool from a from a size perspective. It's really cool from a visual perspective. You know, it's it's MBNF doing what what they do best. Uh, I. I'm not as excited about chronographs as some people. I think the world has plenty of chronographs out there, and and you know I don't think it's going to win any designs as like the most beautiful MBNF. But it's an easy concept to understand, and it looks intriguing. People love watches with subdials because like, oh, what's going on down there? What does that do? And this really draws your attention a lot. Like this makes like like novices gawk like crazy. I'm sure.
1: This, uh, uh, just a correction. It's a three hertz uh, watch. It's 21600. six hundred. Okay, Seven the three hz yeah, Three hertz chronographs. Yeah, I agree. This does feel a bit like. Final tap that someone's gonna come up with a watch next that's got another dial on it. Gonna have they want eleven dials on it. It is water resistant, so well done Max. You know, omega sort yourselves out. Chronograph with eighty meters water resistance. Okay, and designed in theory, so they say, to be used in a sporty fashion in that it's got shockproofing. I'm still not sure whether I would be jumping into the swimming pool with my £180,000 watch, but they say that you can. I think it's quite pretty. I like the EVO range. At the end of the day, double chronograph means you can time two eggs boiling. At the same time, because frankly, who actually uses a modern chronograph for timing anything? Answers on a postcard. I'm prepared to always give anyone a prize that can actually say a practical situation where they genuinely needed a mechanical chronograph to time something, as opposed to could just have used their iPhone or just have counted to ten, one Mississippi, two Mississippi for the accuracy that's involved. So if you've got a modern day use for a chronograph, do let us know. Rick at watch dot com. Yeah, let him know. But uh, yeah, I think multiple chronograph, very cool, cool looking watch, cool company, mm, cool price, certainly if you can afford it. But at the end of the day, it's just going to allow you to time his and hers eggs in the morning. Obviously, you can check it all out in David's article. we have got to try this on at ablogtowatch.com.
0: So a watch that a blog to watch debuted with a nice hands-on article is the new Jeans Ultra Cron. This is a remake of a high accuracy watch from the 1970s, I believe. And what you have here is a sort of few things going on. One, you have a retro uh, divers-esque style watch design. Not everyone's cup of tea, but definitely fun, sporty. Uh, you know, again, it's 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 a very distinctive design. That I think enough people will like. I don't know about the originals. Sean from the blog to watch team was the one that that wrote this up, so he knows a little bit more of the history. Of these, um, in any event, this is a very accurate watch. Ultra chronometer is pasted on the back, so it's not just a chronometer; it's an ultra chronometer, which is what ultracron, of course, alludes to. And this is a watch that not only passes COSC but also the Time Labs certification of, uh, which is you know more. It's the watch with the movement cased inside of it, rather than just a movement, which is COSC. It's a 15-day regimen that measures a watch in a bunch of positions across a variety of temperatures. And they only allow like 1.1 second deviation per day. So this is a also a high beat movement. This is a five hertz automatic movement. So five hertz, three hands, no date. So just the time, like I said, five hertz, very high accuracy, certified for that accuracy, based upon, actually this is 1968, watch originally i'm just correcting myself i said early 70s 1968 i i I would like this with some different colors i feel like for me i'd want to adjust the colors to make them a little bit sort of modern and and sporty this is very very retro with like the red colored you know minute hand so I, i think with with changing some of the colors and maybe textures this would be a super cool modern watch
1: Yeah, I saw this and immediately thought of two watches and then immediately had the same thought of you as you, which was, when is this coming out in about 16 different colours? So I saw this and I thought Doxa, and I saw this and I thought Jean Richard in terms of their sport watches. And it does strike me that this may be the Longines that you'll be seeing in six months time, and they'll be, they'll almost certainly be a Tiffany Blue version, (laughs) but they'll call it something else. And there'll be a red, and there'll be a yellow, and there'll be like a nice silver, or a white, or something like this. I really like this, and as I scroll down reading this article from Sean, I'm like, yeah, love it, love it, love it. And I kept scrolling down, and I'm like, I'm really liking this, but I know as I scroll down this article, I'm eventually going to come to the price, and I'm thinking it's long jeans. it's a bit heritage-y, it's maybe, you know, upper mid-range of long jeans price bracket, and then I got to the bottom And it's, for the the good one, on the bracelet, it's three and a half grand. And I'm thinking, is that a bit expensive for a long jeans? Is that starting to get into Omega Territory or other brands within the Swatch organization? And uh, I think it probably does. I'm not sure that for the heritage and the high beat movement that it makes me think, yeah, I'm going to pay three and a half thousand notes. For this watch, much the way I would like to, because I think it's really pretty. I'm not convinced about the leather strap version, but the bracelet version looks super cool. I think it looks pretty funky.
0: It does look cool on the bracelet, as well as the yeah. included NATO strap yeah the high cost is related to the movement as well as the certification process i think we can agree to
1: that yeah talk about the certification process so have you ever been to any of the places that do the certification you ever visited cost or
0: yeah i've been i've been uh, to various facilities absolutely i've I've seen how a lot of this stuff is done it's a serious process cost is very well known but really doesn't mean all that much this uh-huh. ultra chronometer and other certifications by Time Lab in Geneva are pretty serious. It's a stringent process. It's done to the watch itself, not just the movement. You know, it it does make sure that you have a good accuracy watch that performs well in a variety of positions at a variety of temperatures in the timepiece does it mean you have to spend that amount of money or you know again if you're the type of person buying this watch you probably rotate through so many watches you won't even experience the actual yeah. ac- accuracy <laughs> uh, you know gains sure. that you're getting but again we buy the story right we buy the story we love the story And Longines has to continue to create halo watches, right? It can't just be like, you know, great $1,500 watches for people just getting into watches or whatever. They have to make sure that there's stuff that gets people like you and me excited. And they've been doing a lot of that. And if you've looked at the last year, especially the types of things that Longines has come out with really blows away the types of things that Longines has come out with in the years before, which is very similar to Hamilton, which is very similar to Tissot. And so, what we see is that the under Omega brands at Swatch Group are experiencing a real shift. And what I think is going to happen is that when these shifts are done, they're going to start to market in a really big way. I think that, you know, we always complain, oh, the Swatch Group, we don't see where they are. They're really operating on like a five to 10 year plan right now. And I think we're seeing bits and pieces of that. I mean, if you look at, the Longines product collection right now, the new watches. It's surprisingly competent stuff, very marketable. And again, at prices that really just feels like what Seiko's charging today for a lot of stuff.
1: True, and I agree with you. I think Longines are having a bit of a revival under the new management. I don't know how many of the new range of watches have been produced under the, the new management's guys. You've interviewed... Yeah. The current chief executive of Longines for Yeah, Mr. Bresham. Yeah, yeah. How long has he been in post for? Is he going to have been responsible for these, or is this still the old regime?
0: It's still in the middle between the old and the new. You know, he's been there about two years, if I recall correctly. The Zulu time was very much his initiative. That involved a new movement, so they they have a proper GMT. I think the problem Longines has right now, which is not uncommon, is... What does a modern longines look like? They know what a they know what a traditional longines looks like, but I think that it's the same problem that even a hamilton has. They know what the traditional hamilton looks like. They're still not quite sure what a modern one's supposed to look like, and so that's something which requires less a groupthink decision and more a decision by a solo creative director. So the watches are very handsome and a good value right now. I think what everyone's looking for is a little bit more exploration as to what the modern personality of Longines looks like.
1: Yeah, I think the danger here is that the freedom that clearly the new guys got to produce new stuff, they just produce too much new stuff. They need to let some of these things settle in like the consciousness of the Watch Geek and then develop the range. I mean, they're sitting on... The Legend Diver, which is Kraken. They're sitting on this, uh, the Ultracron, which is great. I'm a big fan of the Hydro Quest. And then you've got the Zulu Time, which is good. I assume that this Ultracron is going to be the start, effectively, of a new range of watches. Marked as high beat, and it'll start to be available in different colours and finishes and all the rest of it. But four ranges of quite sporty watches is, you know is in danger of oversaturating their own market, of competing against themselves. I mean, what is really the difference between this Ultracron or buying a Longines Legend Diver? You could argue they're quite similar. you know, to someone who's not obsessed with high beat movements and all the rest of it, and he's just going to hear the person selling the watch and oh, go, that sounds pretty funky. The danger is that you know, they're going to look at this and go, well, if it's between these two, I'll decide on price. Look
0: how much fun Jean's had on the micro website that they made for the Ultracron. Like there's this is probably one of the most advanced product presentations I've seen. You, yeah. you definitely see them taking a page out of the Omega playbook And a lot of their watches do look like, you know, the less expensive version of this other more expensive Swatch Group product. You know, Longines, for example, has a a chronograph. I think it's called the Heritage or something like that. It looks like a baby Breguet, you know, type 20 or type 21, (laughs) like for sure. You know what I mean? You know, Omega has its high accuracy stuff. This has its high accuracy stuff. And then I think the last watch we're going to talk about really briefly is the Rado Captain Cook chronograph, which, again, you know, in another life was an Omega Planet Ocean, which is which is fine. Right. Which is there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's interesting to see Swatch Group cooperating for better or worse, but cooperating between brands in a way that's so much more. I don't know, like it's. I don't want to say it's effective because I'm not sure how it happens in the market, but you see the implementation of strategy between brands in a way that you're just not really seeing in the other groups. And I and I I believe that means there's a lot of speaking internally at the Swatch Group between brands, which is probably a good thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's bring in the Rado Captain Cook. So there's a, I mean, it's a four and a half grand, or a four thousand dollar Rado chronograph. I mean, again, is that not stepping up? quite a lot. I mean, is is this just all price inflation or brand, it's, I mean, it's not actually real inflation, it's just brands deciding they want to charge more for their product and move the market up so that Omega can charge more, now, if Omega can charge more, and they also own Radon Longines. They will charge more for Radon Longines to fill in the gap that Omega's left behind. And then we'll bring in Tissot behind that so that we've still got the segmentation. But Rado seems to very much be kind of in the same wheelhouse now as Longines. I would always have thought of Rado as being, would I have thought of Rado as being higher end or lower end than Longines. I suppose it was always maybe a bit confusing. I think I always thought of Rado as being a lot more avant-garde, maybe not quite the right word, but kind of ceramic the kind of bracelet watches they produce. Well, definitely more modern. Yeah, yes, yeah, more modern, whereas the likes of this uh, Captain Cook is them going back to their heritage uh, as such and producing something. It's a very nice watch. Go check out the article on it, but it's a four grand Rado chronograph. I mean, on the basis that chronographs are, you know, wrist-based egg timers, then for four grand you can get quite a lot of other watch a lot of other brands that, you know, maybe have slightly more watch geek cred than Rado.
0: Well, I say this as someone that likes the Captain Cook, and there are many of them, you know, overall. They're not all perfect watches, but, you know, if someone said, hey, what about a Rado? I would say, go look at the Captain Cook first, or one of them. The movement here, they call it the Caliber R801. It's an automatic chronograph. It's got about 59 hours of power reserve, so close to 60 hours. Four Hertz mag- magnetic resistant um, hairspring, so it's it's not just like your whatever any old movement. So you can pick this up and say this is not just an in-house movement because I guess it's at a in the Swatch Group, but it's an exclusive movement. So it's at least exclusive movement, and that's that's cool. It comes in different case materials with different styles, which again is interesting. I think this looks cool on uh, a strap. Uh, who I actually see as being the target uh, that they're aiming for is Tudor. That's actually who I believe is the target um, sort of audience if you're into a tutor. And these are priced around there. In order to appeal to that market, Swatch Group has found that you can't price too much lower than them. Because if you price it too much lower, lower the consumer feels, well, this is $2,000 cheaper. It's slightly, slightly a different segment. But if they price sort of similar to the other watch people are looking at, which might be like a Tudor Black Bay chronograph, then they could look at the Rado and take it more seriously. And in a lot of ways, the Rado is a more interesting watch. So what I think Rado's strategy is, the Swatch Group strategy, is let's start coming out with certain models that, again, not brands, but certain models that we feel are good alternatives to Tudor watches. And you actually start to see that. Some in Rado, some in, you know... uh, companies like Longines and and, and things like that. So I I think that's an interesting, you know, probably way of looking at it to help explain, like, what's up with this.
1: I mean, interestingly, in Glasgow, as I understand it, there's about to be a new boutique opened, which contains Longines and Tudor, two brands. And when I heard this, and I believe it's true, I was like, that's an interesting one, that a Tudor would let Longines share an office. But for Longines, it's like, yeah, you come in and look at Tudor and see a Longines, in the UK Longines has got a higher brand recognition than Tudor has and the watches are great watches and are probably priced a smidgen cheaper than the Tudors Uh, so you're looking at Tudor, you're looking at alongside the Longines I think you maybe go for the Longines if you're not like an expert on watch movements and history and basically you've got a budget and you're just looking at whether you think the watch is cool or not you may well go for the one jeans are not the black bay. So, yeah, it's interesting that Swatch Group seem to be taking on quite directly the market that Tudor's even. It's interesting to see if Tudor respond to this, or if they just do what Rolex always do, which is just do their own thing and, you know, I say frankly don't seem to pay that much attention to what anybody says or thinks. But secretly, I think they're probably paying an awful lot of attention, but they'll never let on to anybody that they are.
0: Yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. I don't think we're going to start to see a response from Tudor anytime soon, but if this is successful, we're going to see more watches from this watch group that take hints and lessons from successes that other companies like Tudor have right now.
1: I think, unlike the Angelus from earlier on in the show, I can definitively look at this Longines and say, I like this watch. On the bracelet, this is a cracking-looking watch. So yeah, really like this. So go and check out the long jeans, and go and check out the Rado article all on a So what have you got coming up this week, Ariel? There's been a couple of good superlatives out recently. Yeah, we go and check we- out the Superlative Podcast if you haven't already.
0: Thank you. We've got a couple of great episodes coming, more good conversations lined up. So thank you to everyone who has made suggestions about guests and continues to do so, as well as the people that that have been giving me feedback about the show. I really appreciate you and I appreciate everyone who's listening to that show as well as, of course, this show. I am backed up with some watch reviews, so I'm going to be getting to some of those I'm excited about. And I've got some good high-end reviews coming as well, so I actually have some quality time with watches to look forward to over the next week
1: and if you go and check out the a blog to watch youtube channel you will now see that this particular podcast has some pictures not you'll be glad to hear pictures of me or ariel but some moving pictures from the brands from the internet from other organizations that have kindly loaned their video to us so thanks to tim and co at watchbox and to jody at just one more watch and many others which we'll mention in the show uh, so you can go, and you can currently view episode 12. We're just working on the tech in the background, so they will start to come thick and fast. So if your preferred method of listening to a podcast, it's actually via YouTube while sitting at your desk, and you'd like some pictures to accompany it, you can go to the Ablog Blog To Watch uh, site on YouTube. And there's loads of other videos there. I think there's over a thousand videos on the Blog To Watch YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. So probably... Probably next to Tim and all the output that he produces. A vlog to watch is going to be right up there with the total quantity of watch videos that exist on the internet in one channel. So do go and check out that channel ASAP like subscribe do all those YouTube things leave us a comment on there in terms of what else is coming up uh, do we have an insight as to any releases coming in this next week
0: well this is the watch industry so they treat their secrets like uh, you know nuclear you know plant uh, schematics. I, I like to be pleasantly surprised. I mean, I think what's crazy these days is we don't have to wait for major shows to be absolutely wowed by products that we never would have expected. I mean, this MBNF, yes, we did hear about it in advance, but you know, it just sort of dropped in the middle of the summer, and we're going to be getting a lot more of that. So keep your eyes peeled. This show is probably the best place to hear about the new products coming out that are worth hearing
1: about. If you're listening to the show on the Spending Time channel, then do subscribe directly to a Blog to Watch Weekly. And if you do that, then on the Blog to Watch Weekly channel, if you happen to be using Spotify, you can send us a voice memo. You can contribute in some of the polls that go on that. So the best place to get fully involved is by subscribing to a Blog to Watch Weekly on Spotify and engage with there obviously if you want to listen on itunes or on the youtube channel then go right ahead but you'll get the maximum ability to feedback the show by using spotify that's it for this week so uh yeah have a great week everybody and we will speak to you again soon goodbye
0: bye everyone and thanks for listening